Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. Good morning. I am excited to be with you here this today as we continue our sermon series, The Crazy Things That Jesus Said. But before we dive into our scripture for today, I would like to take a moment to introduce myself to you. My name is Sabina Collins, and along with my husband, Dennis, I have been a member of Concord for around 20 years. I've had the opportunity to serve with many of you in various capacities within the church to include United Methodist Women, Leadership Council, and on the finance team. I have an extensive background in the world of business and have worked in the areas of program and project management. So yeah, I'm crazy. Around eight years ago, I felt that God was calling me into full-time ministry. So I started taking classes at Asbury Theological Seminary, where I continued to work full-time. Last December, I finally completed my degree requirements. And a few weeks ago, I was commissioned at annual conference as a provisional member of the whole conference in pursuit of deacon's orders. I have been appointed by the bishop to work part-time here at Concord and look forward to serving you alongside our great staff. I will also be working part-time at Susanna's House, an organization that provides hope and healing to women who are recovering from substance misuse. So enough about me, let's dive into our scripture for today, which is found in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. I'm reading from John 6, 52 through 57. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. It goes without saying, doesn't it? Our scripture for today is a bit difficult for us to understand. And if you lived in first century Palestine, you would have been horrified to hear Jesus's words, especially when he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That certainly sounds a lot like cannibalism. They must have been mortified. You see, it was very important in Jesus's day for the Jewish people to follow the teaching of the Torah. 
There were many laws contained within it in order to set the Jewish people apart from other people groups who existed at that time. And, unfortunately, the practice of cannibalism was not uncommon for others, and when God called the Israelites out to be a holy people, one of the instructions that he provided to them was not to eat flesh and blood. We hear these words in Leviticus 17, 10 through 12, where God instructs Moses, If anyone of the house of Israel or of the aliens who reside among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut that person off from the people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you for making atonement for your lives on the altar. For, as life, it is the blood that makes atonement. Therefore, I have said to the Israelites, No person among you shall eat blood, nor shall any alien who resides among you eat blood. In fact, God was so emphatic about this instruction that he repeats it in order to convey to Moses just how serious he is about this command. Some of those who were following Jesus couldn't reconcile what they heard him say because they were hearing and receiving his words very literally. In fact, there were some that were so troubled at his teaching that they stopped following him. However, there were those who continued to follow him. After all, they had witnessed his miracles and they knew he was different from anyone else they knew. Honestly, what he had just told them probably didn't make any sense to them at all, but they were willing to put their trust and faith in him. Have you ever experienced a time when something was said to you and it didn't make sense at that time, only to discover later in life that you had actually received words of wisdom? Perhaps it was a class that you were told to take in school and you thought someone was crazy to tell you to take it because you didn't understand the relevance it would have in your life. However, later on you understood why it was important to take it. Maybe it was a typing class that happened to be an important skill to have when computers came on the scene or learning another language while thinking it was a complete waste of your time until you happen to work one day in a company where this language is spoken along with your native one. Or having to take math, not really understanding why, until you decided you wanted to be an engineer, an architect, or an astronaut. Or even better, advice you may have received from one of your parents or teachers who knew for certain that you thought that they were out of their minds when you received it, only to realize at a later day that they really knew what they were talking about after all. You get the idea. Sometimes we can be provided with words of wisdom and don't realize what they mean, only to truly understand what was being said to us at a later point in our life. So, in order to understand the crazy words Jesus is telling the crowds, we need to have a better idea of what had just transpired. On the day before Jesus makes the proclamation that one must eat his flesh and drink his blood, he performs the miracle of feeding a crowd of 5,000 men with just five loaves of bread and two fish. 
According to this account, which is found in John 6, 1 through 15, Jesus sees a large crowd coming towards him because they had just witnessed him healing the sick. Jesus knows that they were hungry. He turns to Philip, who's one of his disciples, and asks him where they should buy bread for all of the people to eat. Philip responds that it would take a lot of money to do this, more than half a year's wage to buy enough food for each person to have even one bite. Andrew, another one of Jesus' disciples, points out to Jesus that there is a boy in the crowd who has five small loaves of bread and two fish with him. Jesus takes the bread and fish, gives thanks for them, and through a miracle has enough food to feed the entire crowd. There is even enough left over to fill 12 baskets of food. After the crowd witnesses Jesus perform this miracle, they realize who he is and want to make him king. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and withdrew to a mountain by himself. Our scripture for today is found within John 6, through 59, where Jesus proclaims that he is the bread from heaven. And because he just performed the miracle of feeding the 5,000 the day before, the crowd searched for Jesus because they are hungry and they want him to perform yet another miracle. They want more bread. When they find him, Jesus admonishes them because they are focused on receiving physical food from him. He tells them their priorities aren't in order. They should be searching for something more meaningful, spiritual bread, which will last forever. He insists that this is what he can provide them. And instead of trusting him, after he provided them with physical food through a miracle he performed the day before, they challenge him to provide them with yet another sign to see who he is, to see who he claimed to be. They remind him that Moses provided their ancestors with a daily provision of manna, bread from heaven to eat the entire time that they were in the wilderness. According to biblical scholar William MacDonald, the crown seeks to make the claim that the miracle Moses performed was better than the one that Jesus completed. After all, Jesus only multiplied food out of loaves of physical bread and fish, existing food, while Moses provided their ancestors with heavenly food. However, Jesus sets them straight when he tells them it wasn't Moses who provided the the manna. Instead, it was provided by God himself. Jesus also points out that the manna was physical food which was provided to meet physical needs. In contrast, Jesus conveys that he is the true bread from heaven, bread for the soul and not for the body. In verse 635, Jesus contends, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He follows this claim in verse 638, where he states, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The crowd begins to grumble and complain. After all, how could Jesus make the claim that he was from heaven when they knew his mother and father? Wasn't he the son of Joseph? Jesus continues to insist that he is from heaven and responds to the crowd with the following words. 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. McDonald notes that our scripture for today is nicely summarized in verse 658 when Jesus said, He is the bread which came down from heaven. He is superior to the manna which the fathers ate in the wilderness. The bread was only of temporary value. It was only for this life. But Christ is the bread of God who gives eternal life to all who feed on him. On the evening before Jesus is crucified, he meets with his disciples in the upper room to celebrate the Passover feast. The occasion where the Jewish people remembered the night when God spared the Israelites' firstborn children from death and the Israelites' freedom from slavery in Egypt. It was during this time together that Jesus took the two elements from the Passover meal, the unleavened bread and wine, and gave them new meaning. In Mark 14, 22 through 24, we read, While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Honestly, what he had just told them probably didn't make sense to them at all, but they continued to put their trust and faith in him. Later, after Jesus was crucified, what he had previously told his disciples suddenly made sense because it was then they were able to see Jesus' broken body and the blood that he had shed for all of our sins. I am sure that they thought about their time in the upper room with Jesus and reflected on his words, along with the elements of unleavened bread and wine. On this side of his death and resurrection, they now understood what Jesus had tried to convey to them and how the elements he presented were true symbols of the body and blood of Christ. And I am certain that they remembered his instruction to partake of the elements often in remembrance of him and his ultimate sacrifice. Friends, Jesus calls us not to physically eat his flesh and to drink his blood, but to believe in him and abide in him, to accept him in our lives and to become united with him. One of the ways that we abide in Jesus is simply to ask him into our lives each morning when we say our prayers for the day. 
Remember when Jesus' disciples asked him how to pray, he taught them the Lord's Prayer, which contains the words, give us this day our daily bread. While many of us think of daily bread as being physical bread, there are some biblical scholars who indicate Jesus was referring to spiritual bread himself. Invite him into your daily life so he can provide you with sustenance for the day. Another way we abide in Jesus is to meet him at the communion table. Jesus commanded his disciples and us to partake of the elements of bread and wine in remembrance of him. And through some marvelous mystery, we have the opportunity to commune with him as we do so. Communion is Jesus' great gift to us, which guarantees his presence among us. Believe that he is indeed the bread from heaven, come down to provide you and me with everlasting life. Hear Jesus' words as he proclaims them in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we may not always understand what you are saying to us, but we know that you always provide us with words of wisdom to learn and to apply to our lives. Help us to put our trust and faith in you, even when things just don't make sense. Thank you for always being patient with us as we seek to abide in you and to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.